The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, and I am joined by good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, a polling message development and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Recently, Brad acquired a new position as a weekly blogger for EpicTimes.com. Formerly, he wrote for U.S. News and World Report. He's also a lecturer in political science at Salem State University in Salem, Massachusetts. Welcome back to the show, Brad. How are you doing today? Hey, Mark. How are you doing? Good, good. Great to have you on the show. Uh, we are actually going to start things off by playing, uh, for those who didn't hear it, uh, Hillary Clinton's victory speech from last night, and then we're going to get Brad and everyone else's thoughts on that. So without further ado, here's the former Secretary of State after her big win in uh, the New York primary last night. Once again, there's no place like home. You know, in this campaign, we've won in every region of the country, from the north to the south to the east to the west, but this one's personal. New Yorkers, you've always, you've always had my back, and I've always tried to have yours. Today, together, we did it again, and I am deeply, deeply grateful. I want, I want to thank everyone who came out and voted, and to all of you across New York who've known me and worked with me for so long. It is, it is humbling, it's humbling that you'd trust me with the awesome responsibilities that await our next president. And, and to all the people who supported Senator Sanders, I believe there is much more that unites us than divides us. This race, not far from here on Roosevelt Island, pledging to build on the progressive tradition that's done so much for America, from Franklin Roosevelt to Barack Obama. And tonight, a little less than a year later, the race for the Democratic nomination is in the home stretch, and victory is in sight. Hillary, 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 
to say, I want to say to all of my supporters and all of the voters, you have carried us every step of the way with passion and determination that some critics tried to dismiss. Because of you, this campaign is the only one, Democrat or Republican, to win more than 10 million votes. because more voices remain to be heard, and tomorrow it's on to Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, and beyond. We need you to keep volunteering. I hope you will join the 1.1 million people who've already contributed at HillaryClinton.com. And by the way, most with less than $100, because we have more work to do. Under the bright lights of New York, we have seen that it's not enough to diagnose problems. You have to explain how you'd actually solve the problems. That's what we have to do together for our kids, for each other, for our country. So I want you with me to imagine a tomorrow where no barriers hold you back and all of our people can share in the promise of America. Imagine a tomorrow where every parent can find a good job and every grandparent can enjoy a secure retirement. where no child grows up in the shadow of discrimination or under the specter of deportation. Where hard work is honored, families are supported, and communities are strong. A tomorrow where we trust and respect each other despite our differences. Because we're going to make positive differences in people's lives. That is what this is supposed to be about, actually helping people and each other. Now, we all know. We all know too many people who are still hurting. I see it everywhere I go. The Great Recession wiped out jobs, homes, and savings, and a lot of Americans haven't yet recovered. But I still believe with all my heart that as another great Democratic president once said, there's nothing wrong with America that can't be cured by what's right with America. After all, what we've always done, it's who we are. America is a problem-solving nation. And in this campaign, we are setting bold, progressive goals backed up by real plans that will improve lives, creating more good jobs that provide dignity and pride in a middle-class life, 
raising wages and reducing inequality, making sure all our kids get a good education no matter what zip code they live in. Building ladders of opportunity and empowerment so all of our people can go as far as their hard work and talent will take them. Let's revitalize places that have been left out and left behind, from inner cities to coal country to Indian country. And let's put Americans to work rebuilding our crumbling infrastructure, including our failing water systems like the one in Flint, Michigan. There are many places across our country where children and families are at risk from the water they drink and the air they breathe. Let's combat climate change and make America the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. Let's take on the challenge of systemic racism. Invest in communities of color. and finally pass comprehensive immigration reform. And once and for all, let's guarantee equal pay for women. And we are going to keep our families safe and our country strong and we're going to defend our rights, civil rights, voting rights, workers' rights, women's rights, LGBT rights, and rights for people with disabilities. So my friends, that's the spirit that makes this country great. It's how New Yorkers pulled together and rebuilt our city after the worst terrorist attack in our history. It's how Americans worked our way back from the worst economic crisis in our lifetimes. And it is how we're going to break down all the barriers holding us back. The motto of this state is Excelsior, ever upward. So let's go out and win this election and all rise together. That, of course, was former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton after her big win in New York State last night. We're going to take a quick break and get our guest Brad Bannon's thoughts on the Secretary's victory speech in New York and also the election results in New York. We're starting with the Democratic side. Then, of course, we will go to the dark side, I mean the Republican side. So if you have any thoughts on last night's uh, victory by Hillary Clinton um, or anything with the campaign moving forward, now's the time to talk about the Democratic side so get in line now at 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. We're also going to be talking about uh, Bernie Sanders and his campaign uh, moving forward. So if you have any thoughts on either of those issues, again, uh, please join myself, Mark Grimaldi, who's in for Leslie Marshall, with our good friend Brad Bannon. Follow Brad on Twitter at Brad Bannon. That's B-R-A-D-B-A-N-N-O-N. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 8886-LESLIE.
Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. We're talking about the New York primary results last night. We are starting with the Democrats, as you just heard, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton giving her victory speech in New York. And uh, before the break, we played that. And now I wanted to get, Brad, uh, your take on the Secretary's speech and uh, her victory in New York last night. Well, it was a uh, big victory. Uh, She uh, picked up uh, the lion's share of the delegates last night. Uh, And uh, right now, uh, as of because of her delegate hall last night, uh, she has about 1,900 delegate votes, uh, and she needs about a little more than 2,300 to win the nomination. Uh, which in Bernie Sanders, uh, after last night, uh, has about 1,200 delegates. Uh, so uh, last night's win uh, put uh, Secretary Clinton in a very strong position. And what did you think of her uh, her speech? I, well, it was, I thought it was a good speech. Uh, she uh, uh, tried to be conciliatory uh, and make overtures to the many Sanders supporters. Uh, it, was, it was a good speech, and, you know, she basically did two things. Uh, she used it to attack uh, Trump and the Republicans um, because uh, if she does win the Democratic nomination, it looks more certain that Trump will be the nominee after last night. Uh, and she also tried to make gestures, uh, you know, offer a hand to the many uh, Democrats who uh, voted for uh, Bernie Sanders. So I think she did two things she set out to do in the speech. Yeah, I only heard, you know, the one veiled attack at Senator Sanders where she said, you know, it's not enough to diagnose problems. We have to, to solve them. And she didn't mention him by name. So I thought it was a pretty, uh, you know, pretty good speech as far as that, trying not to, you know, upset the supporters and did try to reach out to them. I do think, you know, there's going to need to be more of that going forward. And I think that will help if she does end up wrapping up the nomination as, you know, she makes, um, you know, more than just gestures, but incorporates more of Senator Sanders' visions into the Democratic platform at the convention and moving forward. You've already seen her move in that direction on issues like um, yeah, her her debt-free college plan um, and also increasing uh, wages, moving more towards the fight for 15 um, and on a range of other issues that I think, you know, a a lot of people are happy that, you know, especially in the Democratic Party, that she's come out in uh, strong uh, favor for. Uh, And I also think that it can be argued, Brad, that Bernie Sanders has really made Hillary Clinton uh, a much better general election candidate, not just on the issues, but also um, just, you know, I think over Overall, if you look at her when she started her campaign before Bernie really gained the steam that he had, uh, I would argue that she she looks like you know a much different candidate and much more of an appealing candidate. Um, and that's just you know I'm a Bernie supporter, but I will gladly you know vote for and volunteer for uh, Hillary Clinton in the general election if she is our nominee. Um, but she, I'll tell you, she's more appealing uh, to me uh, as a general election candidate than when the process started before Bernie Sanders gained strength and really started to, I think, affect the way that she was campaigning and affect, um, you know, her agenda. I wonder what your thoughts are on that. Well, yeah, I think that's true. And if you uh, look at the exit polls last night in New York, there's evidence to uh, back that up. Uh, Last night, uh, if you looked at the uh, people voted in the Democratic primary, something like 70 percent of them said that the race between Sanders and Clinton uh, had helped the 
help the party, and I, I believe that that is true. Uh, on the other hand, uh, you had, uh, I believe, 60% of the Republicans uh, say that the, uh, the, bat- the primary battle had weakened the party, and I think that, in both cases, voters are accurate. Uh, I think this primary campaign uh, has helped the Democratic Party and the eventual Democratic nominee, and conversely, I believe that the Republican battle has hurt uh, Donald Trump or whoever is going to be the eventual Republican nominee. And uh, that, that was borne out in the exit polls last night. Uh, I want to go to Wayne in Albuquerque. Wayne, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it. I oh. did want to just weigh in regarding Hillary that, you know, I, I mean, that's great for her. Uh, I, you know, I'm a little saddened because, like a lot of people, I've really been watching the Bernie, Bernie phenomenon with great interest, and it, it does prove the point that. You know, exposure from the media is really the big element still in getting votes. It doesn't matter how many people you uh, get at your rallies. What it comes down to more than anything is just exposure on TV, on the big networks. Um, I did want to say, since this cycle has been going on for such a long time, I went ahead and made up a joke that I thought I would share with the listening audience. Uh, You know the uh, worst words in the English language according to Ronald Reagan, don't you? I believe, uh, I believe, Brad, you might know this. Do you know this, Brad? Uh, no, I don't think I do. Okay, go ahead, Wayne. Oh, it's uh, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. And I've kind of updated it uh, since the days of Ronald Reagan. I think the worst words in the English language now are, uh, Hello, Mrs. Priebus. It, would it be okay if rights came out to play? <laughs> yeah. I think that's and right. I, I have a variation on that joke, too. It's... Um, Hello, Mrs. Cruz. I was wondering if Rafael Eduardo could come out and play. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's and so, a similar joke uh, that's told in Democratic circles, uh, and the joke is, uh, what are the two words that scare Republicans the most? What's that, you know? Red? No. Buenos dias. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's true. It uh, true. You know, you could uh, make a pretty good argument uh, that uh, – well, look at it this way. Uh, it's The Latino vote was a problem, big problem for the Republicans in 2012. It's going to be an even bigger problem in 2016. Brad, we're going to talk about that after this break. Uh, we're going to get your calls as well. Give us a shout, 888-6-LESLIE. This is Mark Grimaldi and for Leslie Marshall. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi and for Leslie Marshall, joined by a good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, which is a polling message development and media firm which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon or check out his website, BannonCR.com. Before we went to break, Brad, you were talking about the uh, Latino vote. Uh, Go ahead and uh, finish up your comment there. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the point is, this is not your grandfather's America anymore. Uh, just to use an example, in 2012, uh, Mitt Romney uh, beat Barack Obama by 10 points among white voters. Uh, but it didn't matter uh, because uh, Barack Obama uh, did overwhelmingly uh, positively among black and Latino voters. 
And the same thing could happen this time because there will even be even more Latino voters voting in 2016 than there were in 2012. And my guess is they're going to vote even more Democratic than they did in 2012. Uh, you could see it last night in the Democratic primary. Uh, Bernie Sanders last night in New York won a majority of the white vote. Uh, more white Democrats voted for Sanders and voted for Clinton last night. But uh, four out of the ten uh, primary voters last night were either black, Latino, or Asian, uh, and Hillary Clinton won a landslide victory among, landslide, uh, among uh, non-white voters, uh, which compensated for the fact that she lost white voters. So uh, the, the nation's changing. The Democratic Party is changing, and Hillary Clinton is on the right side of that change in the Democratic Party. Brad, do you think that those numbers are due to something uh, Hillary Clinton is doing right or something that Senator Sanders is doing wrong? Well, I think it's probably, as it is, this combination of both. Uh, if you look at black and Latino voters, they have an incredibly intense loyalty to the Clinton family. Uh, black voters, for example, they don't like Bill Clinton. They love him. Uh, and that uh, Bill Clinton standing with black and Latino voters has been a big advantage uh, for Hillary. And there's something tone deaf uh, about Bernie Sanders' effort to woo uh, non-white voters. I mean, I saw it for the first time uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, everybody pro probably remembers that great Sanders commercial uh, with the uh, Simon Garfunkel soundtrack. Um, it was a beautiful commercial, uh, and during the course of the commercial, uh, they focused on the images of a couple of dozen uh, uh, voters, young voters, and not one of them was black. Um, and I think a lot of it is Sanders uh, representing a state that's almost completely white. Uh, he has very little experience uh, dealing with black voters, and it shows. Uh, just last week, uh, he made this snide comment about uh, the Clinton victories in the, in the South not counting. Well, when he says uh, Hillary victories in the South, what he really what it really is is black voters in the South, and that sort of offhand comment dismissing black voters in the South uh, does not help his cause. And you Do know, you think, Brad, a specific question on that? Party uh, between young and old. Uh, Bernie's very strong with young voters. Hillary's very strong with seniors. Uh, and there's the division by race. Uh, Hillary is very strong with blacks and Latinos and Asians, uh, and Bernie is strong with white voters. Brad, specifically on that question about the South, uh, do you think it was a, a matter? I, I, I personally don't believe he was trying to insult black voters. Now, if it comes off as that, it's, it's just as bad because it does. But I think the point they were trying to make was that winning in southern states now is great, but in the general election, the Democrats don't have a good chance of that. So wouldn't you rather have someone that's carrying states that Democrats have a better chance at in the general election? So do you think he was actually trying to say No, I don't think he was. I don't think he was, but that's what the way it came off. Uh, many black Democrats in the South 
were insulted by that statement. I don't think Bernie meant it that way, but that's the way it came off. I mean, look at South Carolina, for example. Uh, Hillary Clinton uh, won a very large landslide victory in South Carolina, and 60% of the people who voted in the uh, Democratic primary in South Carolina were African-American. And so, you know, by, you know, people, blacks in the South, uh, thought it was a snide reference uh, to their domination of the Democratic Party in the South, which they do dominate. Uh, and I don't think Bernie intended that way, but that's the way it came off. Brad, I want to get your opinion on something that was uh, getting a lot of attention after last night's results, which was an appearance by Bernie Sanders campaign manager Jeff Weaver uh, on MSNBC. We're going to play that and then uh, get your take and everyone else's on that after this uh, commercial break. We just heard in Andrea Mitchell's reporting, Steve. That's right, Brian. We're with Jeff Weaver. This is the campaign manager for Bernie Sanders. So we've been talking all night, Jeff. We've been talking all night sure. about the delegate math for Bernie right. Sanders. And so there's the super delegates. Let's forget those. Let's talk right. about the pledge delegates. First, let's just what you see here. These are the states to come and the delegates left. But let's set this up for people back home. So based on our NBC math we had coming into tonight. Now, the state of Washington, this gets complicated. We haven't added the delegates. You guys won big there. Yeah. Let's estimate you guys are still going to pick up 30. There, we think you came into tonight down about 210 in the pledged delegate category. Now you're going to lose New York tonight. We're not sure what the exact breakdown is going to be. Tell me if this is fair. Why don't we estimate for the purposes of this conversation? You guys are going to lose 25 delegates net tonight. Okay. Okay. So 235. You need to make up 235 pledged delegates sure. in these states with the, th this number of delegates need. Just take me through what you see here that tells you you can erase that. Well, I mean, I think if you look, I mean, obviously the big the big state here is California. I mean, a uh, big, uh, big win there gets you a lot of delegates. Oregon is a state that should be very, very good for the senator. Uh, these states, you know, we've won all the states around these states, so these states seem to be, would seem to be prime territory for the senator. You know, the senator's been increasingly doing well with Latino voters in all in states across the country. So New Mexico certainly in play. Indiana state that he's going to do well in. Uh, it's possible to run all of these states. Uh, New Jersey has a lot of delegates. I mean, it's just a lot, if you looked at a lot of delegates on the board, 235, I mean, that's only half the number in one state. Can I, can I ask this? Sure. Uh, like, people look at the demographics of what happened here sure. in New York tonight. This looks like a double-digit loss. You look at the demographics of New Jersey, very similar. And people would say, if, if you can't come into New York and keep it in single digits there, how do you turn around and do it in New Jersey? Or, for that matter, Maryland. Maryland has the largest African-American population of any state in the North. Right. This is a campaign that struggled to break 30% with African-Americans. Well, I mean, for one thing, look, the Secretary and her people should be congratulated for their victory tonight, no doubt about it. But she had a special relationship with the people of New York. She was elected here twice as a U.S. Senator. Uh, we always knew this was going to be a very tough state, closed primary. So the, the fact that you know she did very, very well in New York doesn't necessarily mean the same thing in these other states. Uh, the rest of the New England states we should do well in. I, again, Jersey is a state where I think we are doing very well right now. When you, so. when you, when you look a week from tonight, we're going to be talking about Pennsylvania, yes. Maryland, yes. Delaware, Connecticut, Rhode Island. With the loss in New York, with the 235 or so pledged delegate gap, is it fair to say you are in must-win territory in all of these states? No, I don't think you have to win all of them. But look, I think you have to win, you know, certainly Pennsylvania becomes a very, very important state in this process. Uh, we're doing very well there. Certainly, our internal polls and some of the, uh, are much better than some of the public polls that are out there. So we should do very, very well there. You know, when we get past uh, the 26, you go into uh, May. You got one state a week. I think we're, we have the possibility of winning every single state in that month. 
every single every single week in that month. And then again it, on June fifth or June seventh is the big that's the big day. You know, we're going to have New Jersey, California, and a bunch of other states. Uh, let me just ask you this because sure. the Clinton people would come back with this. You, we're looking at all the delegate yeah, math sure. here. So let's say you somehow did erase the, the two thirty five and you got ahead sure. of the pledge again. What you hear from the Clinton people is. She's still winning the popular vote. You guys want to be able to tell the superdelegates, hey, the people are on our side. You have no choice but to do it as well. The Clinton people say, even if you do that, the popular vote still goes to Hillary Clinton. Well, right. But, of course, that popular vote doesn't include what's happened in all the caucus states. So those votes are not included in that popular vote total, which brings down the number substantially. And then when we get to the convention, look, at the end of the day, the Democrats are going to have to decide who they want to elect in terms of who's going to be the best in November. And clearly, the polls are almost unanimous now that Bernie Sanders is a much more electable candidate in November. It's very important, I think, for Democrats. You know, the other thing that's not that, that you haven't pointed out is we picked up a number of delegates. A lot of these caucus states have a sort of iterative process where there's a county convention, a state convention, and we've done a very good job at picking up uh, additional uh, delegates at each one of those levels. We picked up delegates uh, in uh, Nevada. We're going to pick up uh, delegates, I believe, in uh, Iowa. Uh, Washington State, even though the you know we won 70-30, uh, the outcome in delegates eventually could become 80-20 or I mean, even in a, in a really big turnout in uh, Washington State, we could sweep the delegates in Washington State. So there's a lot of opportunities to pick up delegates in the caucus process as well. But let me ask you this, though. Is, is this a fair statement? The popular vote and the pledge delegate count. If you are not leading at least one of those counts when June 7th finishes up and we finish this primary process, you don't have a claim to get those superdelegates to flip their side. No, are you still going to try to flip superdelegates if you're not winning one of them? I, I don't think that that's the case. Look, we're going to go to the convention. It is extremely unlikely that either candidate will have the requisite number of pledge delegates to get to this number, right? So it is going to be an election, an election determined by the superdelegates. And superdelegates are largely elected officials, Party, who, who are party I said that they're overwhelmingly right now with Hillary Clinton. So, so the question is, if you guys can't come to them and say, we won the pledge delegate count, you have to honor the will of the people. If you can't come to them and say, we won the popular vote, you have to honor the will of the people. If these superdelegates already want to be with Hillary Clinton, and they can say, hey, she won the popular vote, hey, she won the pledge delegate vote, how can you flip them after the primaries? Well, because they're going to want to win in November. And if the polling continues to show that Bernie Sanders is a much stronger a candidate in the general election, and that's for a few reasons, right? He brings a lot of young people into the process who, who might uh, otherwise participate. He is extremely popular with independent voters. If you look at uh, when you have open caucuses and open primaries, he wins independence. 65-35, 70-30, and in, in November, you know, only about a quarter of the population is Democrats. If you can't create a coalition with independent voters, you can't win the White House, you can't win the Senate, you can't bring in additional people into the House. So this is what has to be built in November. It has to be Democrats along with independents to defeat the Republicans. And Bernie Sanders is the candidate. Because you, you know as well as I do, if June 7th comes and goes and Hillary Clinton has won the pledge delegate count in the primaries and she's won the popular vote, there are going to be calls from her campaign and calls from a lot of influential delegates in this country for you, the Sanders campaign, to make a decision to unite around her. You're saying instead of that, you will spend those months, those weeks in the summer trying to flip superdelegates to Bernie Sanders before the convention. At, at this point, yes, absolutely. Okay. Jeff Weaver, campaign manager for Bernie Sanders. Thanks for the time. Thanks. Appreciate Glad it. Glad to be here. Thanks. Back to you guys. That was remarkable. Jeff Weaver, it's really, it's a kindness of you to be here to walk us through that, sir. Thank you for being here. Happy to do it. Stop and buy a thing. So, again, that was Jeff Weaver, the campaign manager for Bernie Sanders' presidential run. We want to get your thoughts on the comments that uh, Weaver made last night. You can do so by giving us a shout at 8886-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. We're going to get Brad's take on that and more about 
what do you think uh, the Sanders campaign should do at this point? Uh, should they keep going? Uh, if so, should they uh, continue to use the same type of rhetoric towards Secretary Clinton? Or should they tone it back so that it doesn't damage her uh, in the general election if she does uh, win the nomination, which at this point, it, mathematically, it does look like she will uh, she will do so. So we'll get your thoughts on that at 888-6LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. This is Mark Grimaldi in with Brad Bannon. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Leslie Marshall, straight and on point. 888-6LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by Brad Bannon. Uh, before we went to break, we heard from Jeff Weaver, Bernie Sanders' campaign manager. Uh, Brad, I wanted to get your take on the audio that we just played. Well, I watched it last night when he was on, and my what I was thinking during most of it uh, was that I wish I knew what he was, Jeff Weaver was smoking, because I'd love to get some myself. Um, it was filled with fantasy, uh, half-truths, and outright lies, uh, in addition to bad mathematics. Uh, if you look at any source, Associated Press, CNN, ABC, they will tell you right now uh, that Hillary Clinton has a 700-delegate lead, not 250. Uh, Weaver pretends that the superdelegates don't exist. Uh, they do, and just about all of them are supporting Hillary Clinton. Uh, and the reality is uh, Bernie Sanders needs about 1,000 delegates to win the nomination. Uh, Hillary Clinton needs less than 400. If you do the math, it means that if Hillary Clinton wins just 41% of the remaining delegates, she'll have enough votes to cinch the nomination. Uh, and, you know, that I thought was unbelievable. And I thought also disappointing because Senator Sanders, uh, I have a great deal of respect for, and he's running a campaign uh, on a high level uh, without political spin. And that was the worst example I've seen in, of political spin in recent times. And believe me, I've seen a lot of political spin. You know, watching Weaver last night reminded me of watching a big-budget Hollywood movie. Uh, and the only way you can accept the movie is to suspend disbelief on all the important things that happen in the movie. Uh, and uh, that's what Jeff Weaver said last night. Well, if you ignore the fact there are superdelegates uh, and all of them are voting for Hillary Clinton, uh, and uh, then, yeah, Bernie Sanders has still has a great shot at the nomination. So, Brad. But the reality is seeing most of those things that, uh, that uh, Weaver said were totally untrue and wrong, uh, and it's accurate. Another good example, he talks about uh, winning uh, in big time in California uh, on June 7th, which is last primary day, uh, Bernie Sanders is going to have the same problem in California uh, that he's had in many states. Uh, if you add together the 
vote, Latino vote in the Democratic primary and the black vote in the Democratic primary in California, that's more than half the primary voters. And the reality is Bernie Sanders has done very poorly uh, with black voters and with Latino voters. And last night was a classic example of it, but not the only example. So, Brad, Brad, Brad. Uh, one question uh, here. What do you think that Sanders should do here? Because, you know, that was from from Weaver. Obviously, you know, he does represent Sanders, but I agree with you. I have a great deal of respect for the senator. And, you know, I think that I, I believe that he's going to strike a conciliatory tone at some point. I just don't believe, you know, looking at the man and his record of all these years that he would do anything, you know, in the long run here that would severely damage Hillary Clinton's chances of becoming president. Now, that said, uh, they have a very important decision to make. I know that Senator Sanders gave a speech today in State College, uh, PA, I believe, but there was also a a high-level meeting in Vermont where they're going to assess the uh, campaign and and the way forward. Uh, You know, you're an advisor, Brad. Uh, Number one, what would you tell them to do? You know, would you tell them to drop out? Would you tell them to keep going? And if they were to keep going, how would you tell them to to run the campaign? That that's your my question to you. And then B, what do you think they're going to do? And just so you know, we've got a couple minutes here. Everyone on hold, we will get your calls. But Brad, go ahead. Well, what I would advise them if I was up in Vermont today is uh, I think uh, Senator Sanders will continue in the race, and I and I believe he should. Uh, because Senator Sanders, when he first got in this race, said he was running uh, so Americans would hear uh, a point of view that was different than the mainstream Democratic point of view. And Senator Sanders has successfully done that. Uh, and I think if you look at the delegates who will assemble uh, in uh, Philadelphia in July, there is more support for Bernie Sanders' policies than there are for Bernie Sanders, because a lot of the Clinton delegates are very liberal. And by continuing the race, uh, he can continue to make the pitch uh, for a Democratic platform that probably will suit his policies very well. Uh, and uh, so I would continue the race, but I would definitely run in a more measured tone and avoid the, the re- nasty rhetoric he used against Hillary Clinton in New York, uh, because that will come back to haunt her and him and make Donald Trump a happy man. Uh, so if I was Senator Sanders, I'd tell him to stay in the race, keep it on the high road, and fight for your platform in uh, Philadelphia, because honestly, I think he can get in Philadelphia a platform that he likes very much, and there's more support for his policies among Democrats than there is for him. I think that's uh, an interesting point, Brad. Van Jones on CNN last night said something uh, similar to that. He said, Sanders the candidate can lose, but Sanders the cause can still win. So I think that's what you highlighted on. And the last minute uh, we have here before we come back from our news break, and again, we will get to all of the calls on hold, we promise here we will not let you down we will get to you before the end of the show here uh but brad do you think that the sanders campaign will take that road or do you think that they will not what what is if you had to predict if i had to predict i say that he will uh and i say that because senator sanders has said on many occasions that if he is not the nominee he will great uh gladly and enthusiastically support hillary clinton uh and i think that's what you'll see uh in the next few months Brad, great job there uh, posting time-wise. We're going to get back to your calls here. I see everyone on hold. Um, We're going to start off with uh, 
Mike in Memphis, Dave in Ithaca, Michael in the Bronx, and everyone else on hold. We're going to get to all of your questions. If you want to get in line now, we do have a line open. We'll make sure to get your call if you get in line now, 888-6-LESLIE. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, joined by Brad Bannon. We'll be right back after this commercial break. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. I am joined by good friend of the show, Brad Bannon, who runs Bannon Communications Research, which is a polling message development and media firm, which helps labor unions, progressive issue groups, and Democratic candidates win public affairs and political campaigns. Follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. That's B-R-A-D-B-A-N-N-O-N. Myself, Mark Grimaldi. You can follow me at Mark J. Grimaldi. That's M-A-R-K-J-G-R-I-M-A-L-D-I. Brad's website is BannonCR.com. Uh, we're going to go to our callers next, but before that, Brad, I wanted to ask you one more question. Um, it's my contention that the way in which Bernie Sanders supporters are treated by Hillary, you know, her surrogates and her supporters, uh, specifically the Sanders supporters between 18 and 29, will have a huge effect on the future of the Democratic Party well beyond this election cycle. And I wondered... A, do you agree with that? And B, uh, how how do Hillary and her surrogate supporters make Bernie supporters feel welcome in the Democratic Party, especially considering that it's the first time some of them have ever gotten involved in anything like this or even voted? Well, it's a good question. Uh, and the short answer to your question, well, is you're right. First of all, they are very important to the future of the Democratic Party. Uh, and secondly, uh, Secretary Clinton has to uh, deal with them uh, with a great deal of respect. Now, if you look at Barack Obama's elect successful campaigns in 2008 and 2012, they have one thing, at least one thing in common. And that's because Barack Obama assembled a coalition of voters that elected him in 2008 and re-elected him in 2012. Uh, and whoever the Democratic nominee is going to have to reassemble that coalition to win this year. And the Obama campaign people call it the Ascendant Coalition. The Ascendant Coalition uh, consists of uh, blacks, Latinos, uh, Asians, uh, and young people. And whoever the Democratic nominee is going to need all those groups to beat the Republican nominee, whoever it is. Uh, and Hillary does very well with parts of the Ascendant Coalition. Uh, she has uh, won overwhelming majorities of Latino uh, and uh, black voters in the primaries and caucuses so far. Um, she hasn't done well with white voters. Uh, Bernie Sanders has won a majority of white voters. But there are so many blacks and Latinos in the party, uh, it doesn't, that doesn't matter much anymore. Uh, 
Uh, so now she does well with blacks and Latinos, but she doesn't do well uh, with young voters. If you look at the exit polls, uh, Bernie Sanders has won handily uh, with uh, young voters in every primary. And so that's the part of the ascendant coalition uh, that uh, Hillary Clinton is going to have to reintegrate uh, into her campaign if she's the nominee. Uh, and, you know, the reality is it will be made easier uh, because if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, and I think he will be, uh, young voters detest uh, Donald Trump. They may dislike Hillary Clinton, but they detest Donald Trump. And, you know, Donald Trump is the great unifier of the Democratic Party. Uh, so, yeah, it's very important. And, you know, my sense, if you look at the young voters, the independent voters, what they seem to be motivated by uh, are unhappiness with the political process, uh, more so than, you know, economic issues or anything like that. They are unhappy justifiably, as they should be, with the system of campaign finance. Uh, they are unhappy with the way we select, uh, president, nominate presidential candidates. And I think that's one area where Hillary Clinton is going to have to make some proposals about how she would change the nomination system, because the reality is uh, the nomination system stinks. Um, a classic example last night in New York. Um, if you were a registered as an independent uh, in New York, you didn't, you couldn't vote in either the Democratic or the Republican primary. You just didn't have a role in selecting the next presidential candidate. Uh, next week, Pennsylvania is the same thing. It's a closed primary. Uh, independents can't vote, uh, and the reality is that's not a way, good way to run a railroad. So I think we do have to reform the nomination process, and I think that will be one of the issues uh, that Bernie Sanders pushes when the Democrats assemble in Philadelphia in July. I think he's going to call for a major overhaul uh, of the nomination process, and believe me, it needs it badly. So, uh, yeah, she's going to, young voters are very important to Hillary Clinton. They are part of the ascendant coalition along with whites and Latinos that elected Barack Obama and will need to elect the Democratic president this year. Absolutely great points there, Brad. I want to go to uh, our first caller here, Dave in uh, Ithaca. Welcome to the show, Dave. How are you today? Oh, pretty good. And uh, what did you want to say on the uh, topics we're discussing here? Um, well, I, I would tend to say that um, I, I do think that uh, um, that uh, you know Sanders has a lot of things that are so positive, and uh, many people that I've talked to, I mean, are very much for him. And um, I'm not sure, like, like Hillary, yeah, she is going to have to make some some very uh, forward-moving things. That is a, a good point about the uh, um, fixing the election uh, system. Uh, that's a very important uh, thing that I haven't heard either candidate say enough about yet. Um, and uh, um, if, if she doesn't say it, uh, enough about it, I don't think I can vote for her. Uh, but uh, there's another thing that I, I'm very concerned about, too, and that her, is her tendency to uh, um, to not to to be a little bit too for starting wars and things like that. I mean, 
given her past involvement in um, in in some of the fiascos, uh, notably Iraq, that um, that we got involved in in the past. So I think that's going to hurt her a lot, and uh, that is one area that is maybe the only area in which uh, uh, Trump might actually have something going for him among some pretty forward-looking people. Well, uh, to press you on that, Dave, just to interject before you go any further, I mean, I would argue I'm a Bernie supporter myself. I voted for him uh, in the primary in in New York, my home state of New York yesterday. But I would I would not trust Donald Trump whatsoever compared to Hillary Clinton on foreign policy and getting us. No, I wouldn't personally either. Um, I'm just saying that people would vote for him. You're, you really okay? See, I I disagree only because I think if you're if you're looking at people who are consider, concerned about us getting into other conflicts, I, I think that his rhetoric on Islam and denying Muslim Americans entrance to this country. Uh, no, that's is, true enough. I'll hand it to you there. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, people, where are we involved right now in a lot of different places that a lot of Americans don't want us to be? Iraq, Afghanistan, yeah, potentially right. Syria. I think when they yeah, look yeah. at Hillary Clinton and they look at Donald Trump and they hear the debates, you're going to hear one person who is, you know, flying off the handle, insulting our allies and you know, being a provocateur, whereas you're going to hear Hillary Clinton, the st- the states, you know, spoke the statesman or stateswoman, I should say, uh, you know, talking about the process. And, and and although I, you know, I absolutely disagreed with her vote in the war on Iraq. You know, I do think it's a good point. She needs uh, Brad. If you want to take that that question, how does yeah, sure. uh, how does she basically uh, well, all, remedy that? Uh, there's a very important difference on foreign policy uh, between uh, Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, and it has to do with uh, fighting ISIS, the Islamic terrorist group uh, that has occupied good parts of Iraq and Syria. Donald Trump has repeatedly called in the campaign uh, for the deployment of a large American ground force uh, to fight uh, ISIS, um, and Hillary Clinton said she's opposed. Uh, So if you're concerned about you know, American combat troops going to war uh, in uh, against ISIS and committing, you know, a few hundred thousand American combat troops, uh, there's a clear difference between the candidates. Uh, Trump said he would do it. Uh, Hillary said she wouldn't. So there's a clear difference there. Dave, thank you uh, very much. Did you have one more comment uh, before we um, well, really yeah, go here? Well, that's yeah, that's one area I was concerned with. And, um, and it's true, you know, I, I, I tend to agree somewhat. But um, that, uh, you know, Hillary probably would be more reasonable than Trump. But then she said some incendiary things, too. So anyway, well, thanks very much. And uh, um, thank you very much, Dave. I appreciate the call. Please feel free uh, to call back uh, at any time. We're going to go next to uh, Mike in uh, Memphis. Mike, welcome to the show. How are you today, sir? Hey, guys. How y'all doing today? Good, good. Go ahead with your well, comments, Mike. Thanks for calling. You know, I was listening to you guys earlier. Y'all was talking about um, did, uh, you know, blacks feel, you know, slighted by Bernie Sanders when he said that about, you know, uh, people in the South. You know, when I look at it, like, you know, when I heard it, when I heard him say that, it honestly, to me, because I live in Tennessee, it made it sound like, uh, you know, black people don't decide elections. You know, it's just, it made it sound like, you know, that, you know, it came out kind of racist to me, to me, you know, made it sound like white people on the side to let discount the black, you know what I mean? Because, they, you know, they predominantly Democrats anyway in the South. You know what I mean? Do you really think that that's what he meant? I don't think meant? he think that. I don't think he meant, but it, 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 it as an African-American, 
I didn't like what he said. You think it was like it, it was way. tone deaf, basically. Exactly. And uh, but the thing is, what he got to understand is, we are two Democrats. He's not a Democrat. Yeah, but here's you know, the thing, Mike. He's Mike, not a Democrat. Mike, he I hear you come on that. The Democratic Party and turn out our candidates that 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 have worked with us over the years to build this party up, and him to come in and demand, you know, and basically call all all Democrats. Uh, demonizing the majority of Democrats, you know, call them establishment people and all that. You know, if he wanted to change the system, he, where, where has he been the last 25 years? He could have came into the Democratic Party a long time ago. Well, let me ask you a question on that, Mike. To be fair, I, I do think that there's some people, there's a lot of people who have brought that up, and I think it's an interesting discussion. I think if you look at who he's um, caucused with, it, it has been the Democrats, and he's been an important vote, uh, the 60th vote in, in the Senate uh, many times, especially when you look at passing the Affordable Care Act. He's been you know, more progressive than the Democrats in a lot of different ways, and when it came time to put his money where his mouth is, he didn't run as an independent and potentially pull votes away from the Democratic Party and make it easier for a Republican to win in 2016. He put his money where his mouth was, and he ran in the Democratic primary, uh, which, you know, I think is showing that he is willing to come in into the process. Now, I think, you know, your point about him attacking the establishment, you know, is well taken. But that's the only thing I would tell you is if he wasn't and he went the other direction, he would have really hurt the Democratic Party. So I think the move that he made is actually showing that his willingness to help the Democratic Party. Um, We can have more on that after this quick commercial break we have to go to. We're joined uh, by Brad Bannon. Uh, This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. We'll get right back to your calls after this quick commercial break. If you want to join us, there's one line open, 888-6-LESLIE. That's 888-653-7543. Welcome back to the Marshall Show. We go back, as promised, to Mike in Memphis. Mike, uh, I wanted to let you uh, continue. Sorry, we got cut off by the break there. Go ahead, sir. Okay. Well, you know, I just think, you know, with him coming in the way he did, you know, he was basically invisible for 25 years for the black community. You know what I mean? So... I'm Didn't he march? Hold on, Mike, I got to challenge you on that, too. Well, he he marched with Dr. King. I mean, he sat in at the University of Chicago against segregated housing. I mean, I think you can like okay, your candidate, but, but why but, does it have to be like, I mean, that's just he, not where true. Has he been, where has he been since then, though? That's what I'm talking about. I mean, if you want to be visible, if you want to get support of the black community, why, where have you been since then? Well, you if know, you look they, at the way his, he's you know, voted, you know, if you look at his... nobody knows him. You're saying he basically he needs to be more involved in the way that the Clintons have, and I would say that that's fair. I mean, if you, if being you know part of community events, and and I think it would be made easier, honestly, if he had been part of the Democratic Party, interacting more with you know different members of the Democratic Party that are you know part of the African American community. I think that's fair. But to say that you know he's I don't know demonizing the Democratic Party or that you know he doesn't really care about the African American community just is disingenuous. Now, I didn't say now, he didn't care. I didn't say that. Or that he wasn't involved enough you're right sorry that he wasn't involved enough i think is disingenuous now i think it's also tough for him because he's up against hillary clinton who is a juggernaut in in, in those means you know what i'm saying now 
um, you know, I think that's that's a fair uh, a fair comparison. But I still, you know, think he, you know, his votes obviously have been, you know, favorable to the African American community. Well, that that said, how do you think the party moves forward, Mike? Because obviously, this, this you know, you want Clinton, you want to have Bernie supporters, obviously, in the general election. Yeah, but this is what I think, though. I mean, I, under what dynamics? I mean, you're you're a Bernie supporter, so what? Tell me what under what dynamics? Can we get achieved free education, um, free health care for all? I mean, based on the dynamics that's going on in America today and the polarization of America, how how could that how be could done? that happen? Basically, I think it's a very fair question. My point, one of the reasons that. You know, I support Senator Sanders is I think you have to think big and you have to start big, because if you look at, for instance, the Affordable Care is a perfect example. President Obama started far to the left. You know, when he was running in 2008, he was even talking about single payer. And you see what happens when you start to engage with the other side and engage with Republicans and the money in the system starts to pull your plan and pull your plan. Then it was, if you remember, the debate was, are we going to have a public option? OK, that was supposed to be the middle ground. Then even to get the bill passed, we had to drop the public option. And I am happy with the Affordable Care Act. It is much better than it was. That said, it would have been much better if we had a public option to compete with these private plans or single payer. That didn't happen because you see how much, even if you come from an idea that's very progressive and it gets pulled to the side, I think you can see what happens. I think a perfect example now in this particular campaign is Senator Sanders has talked about free public universities, uh, you know, based on we paid on a speculation tax on Wall Street. Now, is Wall Street just going to say, oh, sure, we'll we'll pay for this tax? Absolutely not. Obviously not. Senator or excuse me, Secretary of State Clinton's plan is debt free college, which would be, uh, you know, basically less in aid. You'd have to work 10 hours a week and you could take on a certain amount of debt. I think that's a compromise position, which is good if that's the end product. My concern is if you go in with a compromise position, the Republicans will eat your lunch. I mean, you see, they don't—they have no interest in working with you. Now, Hillary Clinton, I think, has some good plans, but that's just my particular opinion as to why I'd rather start further on the progressive side. Um, and I want to give you the last minute here before we go to break. Well, you can you can say that hey, that you know that what you want, but that in reality, that, that's never going to be America. Well, you know, you know I, I mean, I think it's your opinion, and I don't necessarily disagree with you, especially in our current climate, but I don't think you should not – I don't think you should fail to fight for things you believe in and push for things you believe in, because even if, as President Obama has said, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, I think you can you can think big. The Democratic Party needs – and I'll talk to Brad about this after – I think we need to have big, bold, progressive policies that we're offering the American people, because we will go in with those intentions to the halls of Congress. And if we have to compromise, it won't be because the Democrat. it shouldn't be because the Democrats fail to think big. It should be because we've had to compromise with the Republicans in order to get legislation passed. Uh, that's my opinion. I want to hear yours. Mark Romaldi in with Brad Bannon for Leslie Marshall. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Romaldi in for Leslie Marshall. Uh, we're going to go to Brad Bannon. Brad, I wanted to get your take on the conversation that Mike and I were having about the difference between starting off you know, with a big idea like single payer, uh, you know, talking about the Affordable Care Act debate versus starting out with a compromise position and also on future issues like, you know, public education, uh, as far speaking of the colleges and universities and just that whole kind of uh, debate of theory there. What did you think? Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, I have two thoughts. First of all, I generally agree with what you have to say, Mark, that it's better to start off uh, with an extreme position as a bargaining tool. Uh, let me give you another. You used Obamacare as an example. Let me give you another example. Uh, last year, uh, President Obama proposed increasing the federal minimum wage from seven dollars and a quarter to ten dollars and ten cents um, over three years. Uh, the Congress shot the whole idea down, which is not surprising since the Republicans had majorities in both houses. Uh, later this uh, last year, after uh, the failed attempt to raise the minimum wage, uh, a coalition of unions, including SEIU uh, and AFSCME and some others, uh, started a campaign to raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Now the question is, why do they think they're going to get fifteen dollars uh, when uh, Barack Obama couldn't get ten? Uh, and the short answer is they can't. But I think they took the $15 position so they could either get the 10 uh, that the president wants or maybe even do a little better and get a compromise maybe at $12. And I think they did. They took the $15 position simply, you know, to take as a bargaining chip uh, to force the Republicans compromise like you suggested uh, progressives do. Uh, I have one problem with both candidates uh, on one issue, though, and it's related to that one. Uh, I watch the Democratic debates, and unfortunately, sadly, I watch the Republican, too. Uh, but I watch the Democratic debates, and I think to myself, I listen to Clinton and Sanders talk, and I say, boy, that's great stuff. That would be great if they could do that. And my nightmare is that um, somewhere in Washington or Ohio uh, or Wisconsin, Paul Ryan's watching the same debate and saying, those guys got to be kidding. Over my dead body, they're going to get that. And, um, you know, the reality is and Paul Ryan's still going to be speaker uh, next year. Uh, because I don't think the Democrats uh, will win back the House. They might win back the Senate, but I think it's highly doubtful Democrats will win back the House. So Paul Ryan's going to be Speaker next year. And Paul Ryan killed Barack Obama's $10 minimum wage. What do you think he's going to do to a $15 minimum wage? It's scary just thinking about it. And what I think, and I think where Clinton and Sanders have failed, is no one, they make all these great promises, but no one ever, ever talks about how they're going to get this stuff past Paul Ryan. And the reality is they can't do any of that stuff uh, without Paul Ryan's help. And I think that's something Clinton and Sanders should be addressing, but neither of them has, to my knowledge. I think the problem, Brad, is I don't know the answer to that. I don't think they do either because Paul Ryan and the Republicans have opposed pretty much every single thing that, you know, President Obama and the Democrats have proposed. Uh, and even if, you know, you had a Republican willing to work with the Democrats, like John Boehner, for instance, on that large budget deal, the Tea Party got a whiff of that and, you know, completely went ape and Boehner backed down. So I don't disagree with you. I just wonder what, you know, they, they can say we're going to try to work with him. But if you look at what he's willing to do and, and th there's very few Democratic voters who would want the kind of compromises that Paul Ryan talks about. So unfortunately, it looks like we're going to have fract fractured government still. That said, if the Democrats can get the Senate, 
um, and have not only a Democratic president, but also a Democratic Supreme Court nominee, we're going to be in a much better position than we are right now. And I would take that and try to build on that. And I'm sure you would, too, Brad. Well, I would, but, you know, I think the candidate, you know, Clinton and Sanders should address that fact. Otherwise, these promises they make are completely empty. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good... And, you know, I mean, because I, you know, I think there's like a 90% probability uh, that Paul Ryan's going to be speaker next year still. And I think there's a 90% probably, yeah, about the same, a 90% probability that the Democrats are not going to have the 60 votes they need in the Senate to move legislation. All right, so Brad, you're an advisor. What would you advise Clinton or Sanders to say about this? Well, you know, they both talk about tough choices. And I think you have to tell uh, Democrats, and I think it's fair because you want to be their president um, and all voters, uh, that, you know, whoever the next president is is going to have really tough sledding getting anything done that they talked about on the campaign trail. Uh, and I think they, if one of them does become president, uh, they're going to uh, lose popularity very quickly uh, because they're not going to enact any of these promises. And I think they have to tell Democrats, I think they have to tell Americans that what a president can do uh, without controlling Congress uh, is uh, basically very little. And, you know, I think the other thing, and this goes to that, is that in reality, and I think Barack Obama is a perfect example of this, when you have a Republican Congress, it's really hard for the president to do anything. Um, And, Paul, you know, Barack Obama has learned that the hard way, except in foreign policy. Uh, traditionally, Congress has not had much of a say in foreign policy, and so if you're a Democratic president facing a Republican Congress, and Barack Obama is going to be a perfect example of it, after knocking your head against the wall for years on domestic policy, you basically start concentrating on foreign policy. And I think that's what the next, if you know, Bernie Sanders or uh, Hillary Clinton is going to be much more an activist on foreign policy than domestic policy. And since that's the case, they should both talk more about it. They don't talk about foreign policy a lot. But the reality is, if either one of them is going to be president, they're going to be a foreign policy president, not a domestic policy president. And I think the problem with that, which you highlight, Brad, is Americans care more about domestic issues. But like you said, the president needs uh, you know, the Congress and, and the Senate to do something about that. So that's why I'd encourage Americans to get out and vote. If you, if you want the Democrats to have more power, then, you know, don't even if your your top candidate doesn't win. This is a, a perfect, perfect example of why you should still go out and vote uh, for whether it would be, you know, Hillary Clinton is your second choice or Bernie Sanders is your second choice. Vote and make sure you vote Democrat on the, the state and, uh, you know, local level as well, not just in the presidential election, but in the off year elections, because this is the kind of Congress that we have. And I, I hope Americans are learning the lesson on that. I want to go next to Diana in uh, California. Uh, she wanted to make a comment. Diana, welcome to the show and uh, go ahead with your comment, please. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Bernie Sanders has been in Congress for 30 years, probably paid close to $4 million for this service. And I want to know what significant legislation did he introduce, get passed during those years? And if he hasn't gotten much done in 30 years, 
how is he going to do it as president? That's my question. And well, anybody that gives a free ride, free health, free health care, free lunch, free dinner, is going to get a lot of people interested in what he's doing. We need to be in the real world and deal with real facts and real issues and get something done. So that is my vision is great, but you need to have a plan behind the vision to make things happen. So that's my comment. Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I will uh, tell you, I, I have heard this question before, and it's something that I've looked into myself because um, I was uh, basically wondering the same thing with both Clinton uh, and Sanders. And if you look at the most recent uh, bill that Sanders uh, was a big proponent on, he co-wrote the uh, Veteran uh, Affairs, the latest GI Bill, uh, which is the most recent uh, significant one. And, of course, that was unfortunately after the crisis uh, in the VA where you had the VA, different Veterans uh, Affairs hospitals, essentially cooking the books. Um, there's a lot of different sources on this that I've found. Um, if you look, uh, basically, Sanders, uh, you know, Congress obviously is not known to be a progressive institution, especially lately, to say the least. Um, over the past few decades, the House was only controlled by the Democrats from 2007 to 2010. And you, you've got a flood of corporate money that, you know, quieted the once powerful progressive movement, which passed legislation moving the country uh, forward between the New Deal era and the Great Society. Uh, yet, as difficult as it may believe, uh, you know, Bernie is one of its most accomplished members. Um, he was a I believe he was first elected to the House in 1990. Um, and then, you know, you have uh, essentially, you know, as an independent, he had to uh, uh, choose who to caucus with. Um, you've got plenty of amendments, essentially, that he's written. And you've got to remember, he's he's a congressional member and then was a senator. Um, so he's built unusual coalitions in the past, uh, but that were effective. You had his I'm just going over a list here. This is from Alternet. Uh, the Corporate Crime uh, Accountability Amendment in February of 1995 to the Vict uh, Victims Justice Act of 95 required, quote, offenders who are convicted of fraud and other white-collar crimes to give notice to victims and other persons in cases where there are multiple victims eligible to receive restitution. Uh, the saving money for colleges and taxpayers, April of 98, uh, an amendment to H.R. 6, the Higher Education Amendments of 98, Sanders made a change to the law that allowed the fund for the improvement of post-secondary education to make competitive grants available to colleges and universities that cooperated to reduce costs through joint purchases of goods and services. I won't go over the whole list here, but you've got the Holding IRS Accountable Protecting Pensions Act in July of 2012, expanding free health care November of 2001, um, then you've got getting tough on uh, child labor, which is something he did in July of 2001. Increasing funding for heating for the poor was in September of 2004. Fighting corporate welfare and protecting against nuclear disasters in June of 2005. Uh, greening the government in June of 2007, uh, which is an amendment made uh, to change the law so that at least 30% of the hot water demand in newer federal buildings is provided through solar water heaters. Uh, protecting our troops in October of 2007, he used an amendment to win $10 million for operation and maintenance of the Army National Guard, uh, which has been stretched thin and overextended by the war in Iraq. Uh, restricting the bailout to protect U.S. workers in February of 2009, a Sanders amendment required the banking bailout to utilize stricter H-1B hiring standards to ensure bailout funds weren't used to displace American workers. Helping veterans' kids in July of 2009 through an amendment. Uh, November of 2012, exposing corruption in the military-industrial uh, complex, supporting uh, support for treat, treating autism in military health care, along with uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, 
uh, was an amendment he did uh, using his power as a senator. Um, and there's uh, some other examples. I won't go through the whole list, but there's plenty of things that he's done. This talking a point that you know he hasn't achieved anything. I think is a false one. That said, you're not going to see him making the the kind of changes that that he or uh, Secretary Clinton could as president. But as Brad said, you need uh, the House and the Senate to enact these types of changes. So I think Brad brings up a strong point, um, which is you know you have to be honest with the American people. Although this is my vision, I and which I, I have to be fair heard S- uh, Senator Sanders say. We need a political revolution, and if you don't just elect me, you need the House and the Senate. Otherwise, my uh, you know my ideas are since they're so bold are not going uh, to be passed. Um, so I think that's something that's very important that Brad brought up. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll come back with our final segment after this. This is Mark Grimaldi in with Brad Bannon. Check out Brad's website. It's BannonCR.com. That's B-A-N-N-O-N-C-R.com. Follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. Again, this is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall, and we'll be right back after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Mark Grimaldi in for Leslie Marshall. We're going to get to the rest of your calls here, starting with Jake in Eureka, California. Jake, welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. You're on with Mark Grimaldi and Brad Bannon. Go ahead. Hello, Mark. Um, I, I do think it's time for the Senate campaign to reassess. I don't really think want to go on to California in June and see if we can win you know, our state. <clears throat> but of course, we, we talked about the demographics earlier, and the demographics are clearly against Bernie. And Hillary's got the lead in pledge delegates. She's got 3 million popular vote lead. She's got a lead, huge lead with the superdelegates. Realistically, how is Bernie actually going to win the nomination? It doesn't appear that he can at this point. No, I, I honestly, even as a Bernie supporter, I'm a realist. I don't think he can either, but I agree with Brad. I think it's if he wants to do this, you know, the way he started out, it's more about the movement than the man. And I think a lot of his policies are popular within the Democratic Party. So I agree with Brad. If he stays in the race but does it the right way, I think it's more effective than dropping out now. Also, you have a lot less media attention on the Democratic side if there's a race no more and most of the attention goes to the Republican side, which, let's be honest, they've already gotten a huge amount of media attention because of Donald Trump. So I think if the race can go the way that it already was, you know, at the beginning where Bernie had the famous comment of, you know, I don't care about the damn emails, you know, let's focus on the issues. I I think that's the best way forward for the Democratic Party. Brad has voiced his, you know, um, support of that. I don't know what you would think about that, Jake. Well, well, I think ideally if if we could go back to, you know, the way it was a few months ago and we get rid of all the personal attacks, all the invective, then, yeah, I think it'd be fine bringing state. But unfortunately, watching New York, I'm, I'm concerned that this might devolve into what Jerry Brown did in 1992. You know, basically stayed in the race against Bill Clinton after he had no chance of winning. Basically, Jerry Brown stayed in for personal animosity. I mean, he disliked Clinton and stayed in for that reason. Hopefully, Bernie is not staying in for that reason, hopefully. I don't, I mean, personally think that he would. I think, obviously, um you know, Jeff Weaver, I think, needs a reality check, his campaign manager, and Bernie hopefully will, you know, be the one to make those big decisions. Brad, do you want to comment on what Jake brought up there? Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, I think, again, as I said before, I think Bernie is going to stay in. Uh, and for two reasons. First of all, he has a ton of money. He's still raising lots of money, so uh, he still will have more than adequate amount of money to run a campaign. And second, I think there's a big difference uh, between uh, the, the, what Jake mentioned about uh, Brown and Carter. Uh, 
Jake is right, there was a lot of personal animosity between the two of them. But I think this is different. Um, I don't think Bernie Sanders, if he keeps on running, will run because he hates and dislikes Hillary Clinton, because I don't think he does. Um, he will run, if he continues to run, which I think he will, uh, he will run because he has a set a vision, a policy vision, and he sees a real possibility, and I think he's right about that, of getting that his policy vision uh, uh, enacted by in the platform of the Democratic National, uh, you know, National Committee Convention. So I think he will stay in. Honestly, I think he should stay in because I think his vision is very important. And if he goes away now, his vision is going to be neglected in Philadelphia, and it shouldn't be. Great points, Brad. We go next to Michael in the Bronx. Michael, welcome, and go ahead with your thoughts. Hi, gentlemen. How are you doing? First off, um, we got to get something straight here because there's a lot of people here in New York that were saying of voter irregularities, disenfranchisement, they were purged off. I mean, those are serious issues, and they cannot be taken lightly, as you remember back in the 2000 election. But there's one critical element that must be looked at and in the process of elimination, you are mentioning that there are a lot of independent voters who did not know they could not partake in the primary. And I blame that partially on Bernie Sanders, and that's because you, Bernie Sanders, as an independent turned Democrat, first off, I hope he is a registered Democrat. From what I understand, he has to be actually part of the party officially to be running as the nominee and not as the independent caucusing. But so Brad, let me, is he but officially, is, hold on, Michael, 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 hold on. Is he, uh, he's running as a Democrat. Is he not an official? I mean, what about Michael's point there? I, I don't think that matters at this point, right? Uh, well, it doesn't, but uh, I think the short answer is I don't think anybody knows whether he's registered in Vermont as an independent or a Democrat. When he, last time when he ran for the Senate, uh, he told people he was a registered independent. Now, whether or not he's changed his registration status since then, uh, no one knows because Bernie Sanders has refused to answer the question, which leads me to believe he's still probably an independent. Uh, the other thing that I think is important here, uh, there are 56 jurisdictions that send delegates to the Democratic National Conventions, the 50 states, Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, Americans Abroad, the Northern Marianas Islands, and Guam, and th there are 56 different rules for selecting delegates to the Democratic National Convention. It's no way to run a railroad. Uh, there should be, I believe, there should be reforms. Uh, I think it's ridiculous in New York that independents uh, can't even vote in a presidential primary, Democrat or Republican. Uh, that's not fair. Independents should have a role in selecting uh, the presidential nominees. And I think, honestly, that's one of the things that Bernie Sanders is going to push in Philadelphia. I think he's going to call for massive uh, election reform in terms of delegate selection, in terms of campaign fundraising. And I think that's, that, that's something that Democrats should really take a look at because I think it's very important. Absolutely, Brad. I couldn't agree more. Let's go. Uh, final word here, Reggie. We just have about 20 seconds. I'm sorry for the lack of time, but go ahead. I would just like to know, why can we stop all this? political infighting between Hillary Rodham Clinton and Bernie Sanders. 
Good question, Brad. Uh, I think you kind of touched on that. Hopefully uh, that's something they'll be doing uh, going forward here. I I agree with Brad. I I don't think Bernie's going to, you know, I think they're going to put the knives away. Hopefully Brad is right. That's been my guest, Brad Bannon. Check him out at BannonCR.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Brad Bannon. This is Mark Grimaldi. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark J. Grimaldi. It's been a pleasure sitting in for Leslie Marshall. We will talk with you tomorrow.